Good morning, everybody. I'm Nate, one of the pastors here. Good to see you all. And I think uh, Lindsay already gave us a sermon, so I think we can <laughs> wrap it up. She did a great job talking about how we show up for each other, which is really one of the themes this morning is how we can show up for each other. When my kids were little, we, we put them, my, my wife was with mops, and, and it was a great thing to serve our, our family. And now my kids are older, and I've got a senior in high school, and I've got one that's gone through college. And the anxiousness of college is a little similar to the anxiousness of preschool, at least it was for me. And uh, we, we sent off a lot of our college kids back to school this, uh, in this last month here. Some of them are going to classes for the first time. I was talking to one of our college kids about how you have to get those um, extra long uh, fitted sheets for the beds. Like only in college are those extra long twin mattresses there. You guys remember those? And like you buy those once and you never use them again. Uh, but we were talking about how being in school is, being in college is different. I remember when I started college, it was a lot of fun to think about. But then when you're there, I was pretty homesick the first few weeks of my freshman year of college. A thousand miles from home. Um, I didn't know anyone. Uh, there wasn't a, a lot of time to be alone because they were making us do all these social things. And everybody was weird and different. And, and I couldn't be myself. And, and you know, I started just wishing I, I could be back home. And uh, sometimes we have that longing in us. In July, we did some... Uh, a trip back to Colorado to see family and friends. And we were there about 13 days. And in those 13 days, we stayed at five different houses. And uh, I could never get comfortable. I, like, I didn't like the beds. I mean, they were, my friends, my family, they're so kind to have us there. But it wasn't my bed, and I missed our bed. You know, being in a different place is just weird. I don't know where, find, where to find the Ziploc bags. I don't know where the remote is. And like, at my house, I know right where my stash of candy corn is. <laughs> And every single house, all five of those houses in Colorado, nobody had candy corn. I was like, what is going on? This world is falling apart. Um, so it's, it's nice to be on vacation. It's nice to travel. But there is something about coming back home, you know, where, where you belong, where you feel accepted. We want to talk about home this morning. Some of you guys know Ikea, the Swedish home store where you get lost when you go there and uh, have to assemble all the furniture yourself. So they, they put out a catalog of all the things you can fill your house with to make it home and make it belong, a place of belonging. And uh, at the beginning of one of their catalogs recently, they had a little paragraph about why they do what they do. I just want to read it to you. Here's what they said at the beginning of their catalog. It said, are you so busy working, 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 running, 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 seeing, 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 that you've forgotten the lovely art of just being at home? Are you too preoccupied with the extravagant and extraordinary while real life is actually something that's happening right here, right now? It's time to start living in the true world at home. Now, I'm not going to start building my theology on Ikea catalogs. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to start turning to Ikea to help me know how to live my life. But they're making a really good point there that we are all looking for a place where we belong, a place where we feel at home, a place where we can just be as we are, where we're known and accepted. We're looking for a place like that to be as is, where we can be given a purpose, where we can understand what God is doing in the world, a place of welcome. And Ikea says that place is home. And what's interesting is Jesus used a very similar kind of language to talk about that place. He often called it home as well. Each one of us is seeking that place, that relationship that we're longing for, a, a, a greater reality, a spiritual house where, where we are really understood, where our identity is built securely on who the creator says we are and on how Jesus reveals himself to us, the, the one who puts the whole world together and we can build our lives on that firm foundation. And, and guess what? Not only are you looking for that in your life, but everyone around you 
is looking for a place to call home, a place where they can belong and be known. Every person you encounter at school, on the job, uh, when you're grocery shopping, when you're driving down the highway, every person is longing for that kind of connection, a place that they can call home. And because not everybody has had that kind of experience in their life. Not everyone has a spiritual home. Not everyone grew up in a house where they felt safe, where they felt like they were known and loved. And they're all longing for that. And so we get to be involved in t- helping people tell a different kind of story. Jesus told a story once about this um, idea of home. And it's one of his better known stories. It's what we sometimes call it the story of the prodigal son. And it talks about our desire for a connection with the divine, a, a connection with our creator. And, and in the story, that relationship that we're looking for is likened to the relationship of a father and a son. Being home with God means you, are, you have that place of acceptance and that place of belonging. So I want you to find your Bible or open up your Bible app on your phone, if you would, and, and open up to Luke 15. We're going to look at this story together this morning. Luke 15, verse 11. Luke is the third uh, book in the New Testament. There's four stories about Jesus' life, and Luke is the third one. And right at the beginning, Luke, he, he says, I'm writing this to my friend Theophilus. He says, I'm writing to you, friend, so that you will know that what Jesus said what Jesus did, well, all that you've heard about Jesus is true, like it actually happened. Luke says, I've done the research. I've talked to eyewitnesses. I've laid it all out. I want you to know for sure that you can have confidence in what you've heard about Jesus. And Luke's, Luke writes down his Jesus story. And in, in chapter 15, uh, verse 11 is where we're going. We, we, we're going to read this story, and it's helping us to understand that grace is anything that will help you come home to God. Grace is anything that will help you come home to God. And that's what we see in the story this morning. So look at verse 11. It starts with this. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. So Jesus continued. What's he continuing from? So he has just told two stories about something that was lost, and the person who lost it went looking for it. And when they found it, they threw a big party. And so Jesus continues. He's going to tell us a third story about something being lost, and then found, and then a party. I want you to think about what's something in your life that if you lost it, you would throw a party when you found it. What's something like that in your life? I don't have many things like that for me. I wouldn't be all that upset. If I found it, I'd be like, oh, there it is, nice. You know, but I don't know, I'd throw a party. So what are the things that you would throw a party about if you found it? Look at verse 12. So he has two sons, this man. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Now, let me pause again. I'm gonna have some pauses here as we're going. Culturally, we have to go back into the first century Jewish environment. And in that place, the father, as as the father was building wealth and and taking care of his family, eventually when he died, he would give his sons the inheritance. Only the sons would receive the inheritance. The firstborn would receive a double portion, and all the other sons would receive a percentage of what was left. And this would happen after he died. Now, in this case, the younger son comes and says, I want my portion now. I want what's coming to me now, can, imagine, can we imagine this? He comes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I wish you were dead so I could get my stuff. That's what he's saying to his father. And those listening to Jesus tell this story, they would have been shocked. By, they would have gasped. They would have been like, what? He said, what? You know? But only more shocking is the way the father responds. So the father did it. Like, what? Why would he do that? This rebellious son comes and wants his stuff, and, and the father What a foolish father. That's what the people would be thinking as they're hearing the story. Verse 13, so the younger son gets the property. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, all this inheritance, and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He squandered, he, he scattered this wealth, kind of just threw it to the wind. And, and he did it in wild living, it says reckless living, a kind of living without any kind of hope. Like there's no point in this, these choices you're making. There's no way to understand what are you thinking about as you're doing this. And that's how he was living his life. And then a famine comes and he loses everything and no one helps him because there's a famine in the land and he finds himself watching pigs in a field. And for Jewish people, pigs are not the kind of things you want to be. They're unclean animals. You don't hang around hooved animals like pigs. You don't eat them, you don't go near them. And here's this Jewish young man and he's watching over them and he wishes he could eat what they're eating. That's how low his life has sunk to. There's a, a, a Jewish proverb in the Talmud And it says this, cursed is the man who raises swine, and cursed is the man who teaches his son Greek philosophy. So philosophy and pigs, just about as bad for the Jewish people. So here he is, he finds himself here. Let's go back to verse 17. When this younger son, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up to go to his father. He came to his senses, it says. The the younger son kind of wakes up to reality. He's sitting in the pig pen, and it dawns on him. There's a better way to live life. This is not what I had dreamed of. This is not what I thought I'd be doing. I could go back to my dad he, I, I, tr- he's could cre- he, I trust him. He would put me back into his home. He, I would at least have food to eat. I wouldn't have to be wishing I could eat this food. What am, what am I doing? There's a better way to go. There's a rabbinic proverb that says, when a son abroad goes barefoot, which means like doesn't have anything, like the shoes are the last thing for the Jewish person to lose. So when a son goes barefoot, then he remembers the comfort of his father's house. It's sort of like saying today when when a child is away from home and can't get free Wi-Fi, then they remember the connection of their home network. You know, that's like kind of what he, that's kind of what's being said in that proverb. It's not till we're away and we lose stuff that we realize, oh, I had something better. I had a, we have these wake-up moments, these coming to our sense. We could tell stories, couldn't we? We could share stories of times when we woke up and realized, what am I doing? So stupid. What, why did I choose this? If you guys are sticking around for the potluck after the second service today, maybe around that table, at lunch, you can say, here's one of my wake-up moments. Here's one of those times when I woke up and realized there was a better way to live. So the son heads home, and he's got this plan. I'm going to work as a servant. I'm not worthy to be part of my father's family anymore. I'm not worthy of his love, but maybe he'll hire me on, and I can at least work and, and, and have some food to eat. Go back to verse 20. So the son, he gets up. And he goes to his father. But while the son was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The father runs 
to the sun, and some of you might know this story, but for in the ancient Near East, for a, a distinguished Middle Eastern father, they wouldn't run in their robes. They would walk in a slow fashion, but this father runs to his son and throws his arms around him. And again, the story shocks those who are listening. Why would he treat a rebellious son this way? Why would he be so kind and caring? Why would he go out to his son? His son left him. I mean, just think about it. If your child said to you, I wish you were dead, took half your checking account and took off, and you watched on the Instagram feed as you saw them going around the world, vacationing, touring at parties, eating great food, and you're like, well, okay. And then, and then the feed stops and you don't hear anything for weeks. And then they show up at your door and you can tell, I mean, they've been through something, right? It doesn't look like they've showered in a while. They look, they've lost all this weight. You can tell, how would you respond? What would you do? I mean, I would be sitting there waiting. I'd be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to wait for that, you know, you were right, I was wrong thing. I need to hear that about 100 times. I need to hear you were right, I was wrong. I need to hear how are you going to be accountable for the money you wasted? What are you going to do to make this right? Before you come, you know, waltzing back into my house, I want you to acknowledge what's happened and what you've done to me. But that's not what the father does, right? He runs to his son, throws his arms around him, Loves him. This is what the father does. He, he, he begins to bestow these gifts on him. So you can go through the list of things he does. He says, uh, go and get the best robe. You know, even before the son can start out with his little plan, hey, father, I'm sorry I've sinned against you. The father's already doing stuff. He's like, go get the robe. Get the best robe. It was a sign to the people that this was a man of honor, that the son was being honored. You can go back to the Old Testament and think about the story of Esther when the king wanted to honor one of his servants. He, he went and got one of his robes and put it on him. So I've, I've got one of my robes here. I want to make this real for you. Uh, I washed it. Don't worry. Dale, I've been watching you. You're paying attention. You're doing a great job. So I'm just going to honor you, Dale. And you just put this on. There you go. Now, there you go. Yeah, there you go. He knows it. Dale's not going to be chilly anymore. He's got a robe on him. This is a way of honoring his son. And then he says, get a ring. Put a ring on his finger. And now the ring is a sign that he's part of the family again. And not only that, but that he has authority in the family. The, the ring, a ring is, gives you ability to sign contracts and do work as a leader in the family. It says, put sandals on his feet. Remember we talked about when they don't have shoes, it means you're destitute. It says, put sandals on his feet. He's going to have what he needs. No longer is he going to be without what he needs to live life. And then he says, kill the fattened calf. Now, this is a big one. Notice it's, it's not go kill one of the calves. It's kill the fattened calf, a, a family in the ancient uh, Near East would have one fattened calf party in their lifetime, perhaps. It was a huge celebration. The entire community would be invited. It would go on for days, and they would have this one animal ready to go just in case something like this happened, an, an, an event that's unmatched in all the community there. There's really no word to describe how the father treats his son except the word grace. It's just grace. The, the son didn't earn it. The son... Um, didn't deserve it from our perspective. He wasn't even worth it from our perspective. Look at what he did. But the father just pours out this grace. The father has everything but a DJ ready to go for the party, the celebration. So let's go back just a couple steps. This son, the younger son, at the beginning of the story, he wants his father's stuff. He wants the father's status and the father's wealth. He wants everything the father had, but he didn't want the father. Right? He said, give me my stuff. And then he left. He wanted to get things from his father, but he didn't want relationship with his father. So if grace is anything that helps us come home to God, the younger son did not want grace. He didn't want to come home to his father. Until one day, 
his ears filled with the sounds of pigs and his stomach growling. He, he wanted to be home again. He realized that he had made poor choices and it was grace that brought him home. And when he came home, the grace of the Father continues to pour into his life and, and really the things that he wanted at the beginning. Here's the things I'm going to give you. The Father gives him a robe and a ring and shoes and a, a, a celebration and a feast. All the things that the son wanted, he receives at the end of the story. All that inheritance. He thought he was just getting money from his father. He realizes he's getting so much more. He's getting family, relationship, connection. When the son decided he wanted the father, all the other things came along as well. That's why Jesus would later say, put God's kingdom first. Do what he wants you to do. Then all these other things would be given to you as well. And all these other things, when Jesus was telling that story, all the other things referred to food and drink and a place, a place of belonging, a place to call home. And for many of us, this is where the, the story ends. We know this story. There's the thing's lost, the thing is found, and there's a party. And that's the, the other stories ended that way. This is a nice place to wrap up the story, but Jesus isn't done. He's got another part of the story he wants to tell. He wants to go back to the older son because he's speaking to Jewish people and Jewish religious leaders. And he wants to go back to the son. So look at verse 25. Meanwhile, all this party's happening. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? Well, your brother has come home, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, Father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. How would you describe the older son here? He's angry, but what else is going on underneath the anger? He's jealous, disappointed, doesn't feel like it's fair what's happening. Here's the son who's been faithful to his father. He has stayed and worked day in and day out, taking care of the property, taking care of the fields, watching over the family. Not only had the younger son left the father, but the younger son also left the older brother. And now the older son had to do all the work that, that needed to take place in that family. The older brother won't even go into the party. So once again, the father has to go out to one of his sons and invite him in. He goes out and says, come on in. The, son, the older son doesn't want to, isn't having it. He's not interested. The life application commentary has a good note here. It says this. The older son's resentment rendered him just as lost to the father's love as his younger brother had been. You see, his motivation is revealed in this moment. The older brother, his motivation is just as ugly as his younger brother's former motivation had been. As we hear the older brother's reaction to this party, he goes, I don't even get a goat. He's interested in the father's stuff too, not so much the father. He, 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 wants, he doesn't care what's important to the father. He doesn't care about what brings the father joy. He just wants the stuff, just like his younger brother did. Both want the father's stuff instead of the father. One does it by taking the money and running away. The other does it by staying put and working hard. One tries to hold on to control by breaking all the rules. The other tries to hold on to control by keeping all the rules. One goes after life by being bad. The other one goes after life by being, being good. And I want you to hear this. They're both lost and separate from the Father. This story reveals to us that there's, there's two kinds of lostness. 
You can be lost in your immorality, and you can be lost in your morality and doing all the right things in the right way. Most people think God wants uh, good people, but that's not what he wants. God wants new people. God doesn't want you to have a better life. He wants you to have a new life, a transformed life. And some people will say, well, break, break the rules, fight the system, you'll find freedom and happiness. And some people will say, well, keep all the rules, do what's right, and you'll find freedom and happiness. And Jesus says, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. Freedom and life are found in a relationship with the Father, in a relationship with God. You're invited to come home to God. And you find that we follow that example of that younger son. He returned and he confessed. He said he was sorry. He sought forgiveness. We also need to confess and receive forgiveness, even for our moral lives that we think make us right with God. We need to see that all the good things that we do to earn salvation, they're, they're just as sinful as the wrong things we do that hurt other people. When we talk about faith in Jesus, we're not talking about some religious system that, that we can work and manipulate so that God has to open heaven to us. We're talking about a relationship with the Father who wants to welcome us home, welcome us back to where we belong, throw his arms around us, and call us his kids. Grace is found in anything that helps us come home. Even the hard things, even the difficult things, the things that we suffer through in this life, even those challenging times, if, when it turns us back to our Father, that's grace. Paul would write uh, in his letter to his friends in Corinth, the second letter to them, and he said, even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. God's grace unfolding in us, helping us live in a new way, a new kind of life. Grace welcomes us home, just like that father in Jesus' story. So the father looks at his son. Look at verse 31. and wrap it up here. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he's been found. Notice the first thing the father says. He says, we are together. You are with me. I am with you. We are always together. That's what's primary for the father. And then secondarily, he says, and everything I have is yours, which if you think about it, is literally true for this story, for this son. The younger son's received his inheritance. Everything left is the older son's. Everything that the father has now belongs to the older son. But he's not living like that. He doesn't see it. He's missing the grace. He's missing the relationship. He, was, he wasn't at home with his father, even though he was physically at the house with his father. The younger son was lost with the pigs and the filth, but the older son was lost with his good work and his clean life. We need this relationship with our Father God. We are lost without the grace of the Father. We are far from home without the grace of Jesus. Grace can be all around you, and you can be missing it. The older son was working hard and missing it. He was home, but he wasn't living like he was home. So, so how about you? How about you? Are you experiencing the home, the, the, the welcome, the belonging of the Father that he is with you right now, right here. He's moving, he's in this place, he's speaking, he's offering you a new kind of life. Are you living it? Are you embracing it? I wanna finish just by sharing one way that you can make sure you're not gonna miss that welcome, that you're not gonna miss that you're actually at home. And the one way to do that, the one way to not miss the welcome is to give it away, to give away that grace that you have received, to share it with others, to share the welcome, to live it out we want to live full of the grace of God. We must welcome everyone made in his image. This is why Jesus would say, uh, when you forgive others, then you will be forgiven. 
He didn't say that to like dangle a carrot in front of you saying like, I'm not doing nothing until you do something. He, he said that because unless you can forgive others, you're going to miss the forgiveness that God has for you. You're not going to be able to receive it, to embrace it, because you're not able to offer it to others. One of the saddest parts of the story is that for that oldest son, one of the jobs of the older son in these uh, ancient families was to bring the family together, to hold the family together. When there was a rift between family members, the older son, one of their jobs was to bring the family back together. And we see this in, uh, when God's talking about the nation of Israel, and he says, you are my older son. In Exodus, he says, Israel, you are my older son. And he was saying, because you're going to bring the world together, you're going to bring me back in connection with all creation. I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to the entire world. And this older son, he wasn't bringing the younger son and father back together. He wasn't living out this role. He won't even welcome his brother back home. The older brother is missing God's gracious welcome because he will not welcome. So when we refuse to welcome others, when we refuse to offer grace and love and truth, and invite people to walk in the way that they were created to walk. When we don't do that, we, we will miss the welcome that God offers us. You can think about it this way. If I can't see the worth and value of others, then I won't be able to receive the worth and value that God sees in me. I won't be able to receive it for myself if I, won't, if I can't share it with others. When we sit in judgment over others, when we would decide that they no longer offer anything to me or to my community, when, I, when we write them off because they believe differently or look differently or are part of a different generation, you know? We start looking with critical eyes, their pants are too tight, their language is too loose, their hair is whatever. I, I'm not gonna welcome them. I'm gonna withhold kindness. I'm gonna stare in disbelief instead of compassion. Whenever we start to live that way, we miss the grace of the Father over our lives. We figure that we're good enough to earn his welcome, and all I'm really doing is missing the celebration. There's a celebration taking place all around us. It's a party in heaven, and we're missing it. God's created us to live in a new way. So here's what we're going to do. I want to encourage you to do a couple things with me. Last week, we talked about this little clear board out, outside these main doors, and I'm calling you to think about who's someone that God is inviting you to welcome? Who is someone that God is inviting you to reach out to and welcome them into community, into service, into transformation, into belonging? Who has God put on your heart that you know is, is distant, and you want, to, you want to help welcome them back in? Write the first name of that person out on the on the little glass wall screen out there by the main doors here. Write it small so we can all fit a name on there and just write a first name. I don't need the whole story, just a first name. Say, here's someone. It's a way of committing and saying, this is a person I'm gonna be praying for. I'm gonna be asking God to help me. The second thing is this fall, we're gonna spend some time together talking about how we can welcome others. We're gonna start by spending four weeks talking about this ongoing conversation with God as he's welcomed us into relationship, this thing called prayer. So we want to reframe prayer this fall and grow in our ability to pray without ceasing. And then in October, we're going to move into a few weeks talking about how we can bless others, how we can be a blessing. So I want to encourage you to be with us, to show up, to watch online, to take part so that you can be allowing God to sensitize you to how we're called to welcome others. And finally, I want to challenge you to continue to, to give faithfully and sacrificially here at Hillcrest so we can grow this place to welcome everyone. If Hillcrest is your church, if this is your church home, then I want to encourage you to continue to invest energy and finances so we can do this work together. Over the last year, we've been able to rebuild our staff team and, and have leaders for each of our generations here at Hillcrest. We've been able to uh, find new avenues, develop new ways of pursuing new life together in Jesus, and that happens as we, as we do this together, as we invest together. I want to encourage you to do that. And uh, one, one way to do that is to just decide on a percentage percentage of that comes into your checkbook, into your bank account, I'm going to give away a percentage, and you get to 
figure out what is that percentage you want to give away. Angela and I have decided that we're going to give 10% away, and we've been doing that for years together. Most of that comes here to Hillcrest. We support some missionaries and a compassion child over in Africa that we give to. And, but, you know, invest in what God is doing here. If this is your church, I want to just call you out to do that. And, and we give with joy. We give because we expect that God is going to do great things, and that's why we invest. That's why we give. About a year ago, we talked about these little boxes on the back wall, and we gave them a name, and we labeled them, and we wanted, part of the name is joy, and we talked about how we give with joy. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't said it yet. No, we don't, we're going to get to that. So we give with joy. We got an envelope last year. I want to put a picture up here of this envelope that someone dropped in the offering. A very joyful gift, they wrote on the, on the little envelope. And that is awesome. That's what we're, we, we want to give with joy. We want to celebrate generosity. And so we decided to label the boxes on the back of the wall with that word joy. And then whenever I say the full name of the box, we're supposed to clap. We're supposed to cheer because we celebrate generosity. And some of you have joined us since then. And you're like, why do they clap at the end of the service when they talk about these boxes? It's because we want to celebrate generosity. So uh, we'll maybe say that name of the box later and we can <laughs> celebrate together. But I want to just encourage you to do that. We want to take some moments now and just celebrate the grace of God, celebrate how Jesus gave himself for us and receive communion together. This is a way for us to be reminded of the gift uh, uh, that Jesus gave us on the cross, the forgiveness and the grace that he offers us. Communion is, is something Jesus instituted uh, the night he, before he died on the cross. So I want to invite those who are serving these elements to us to come forward at this time and, and take these elements to the stations up front here. And in a moment, I'll invite you to come forward. And, and as you do this, this is a chance to be reminded of Jesus' body that was broken and his blood that was shed so that we might be forgiven and we might have new life. And so these elements remind us of what Jesus did and call us back to that. Remind us that we need, we need forgiveness. We need confession. We need to be made right with God. On the night before Jesus died, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink it. As often as you drink it, you do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So in a moment, I'll invite you to come forward, and, and those in these middle two Sections, if you'd move to the middle aisle and come forward and pick up a piece of the bread and, and the juice, and you on the outside sections, if you go towards the windows and come forward and take these elements, and return to your seats and take a moment and let God know that you're grateful, that he welcomes you home. Let him know that you need that welcome, that you're thankful that Jesus gave his body and gave his blood that we might be forgiven. Let's take some time to remember the grace we've been shown. And will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for these gifts. We thank you for the new life that you offer us. We receive them gladly, thankfully. Thank you for welcoming us home because of Jesus. Come and receive the body and blood of Christ. Father, welcome to you home. I, I hope you experience his grace today. I want to invite our prayer team up every Sunday after church. There's volunteers up front that would love to pray with you and encourage you. Uh, if there's anything in your life that you're feeling like, yeah, I need to put this before the Lord, I need to lift it up in prayer, let us encourage you and walk with you. Especially this morning as you've been sensing God movement in your life, if you have that sense he's calling you back home, maybe you're realizing that you haven't been trusting him, you haven't been following him, you haven't been pursuing life with him, uh, we'd love to pray with you and encourage you in that way. As you go, uh, just remember the Father sees you and he knows you. 
He loves you deeply. Even when you're walking away, he loves you. And he welcomes you home. Just, just turn and, and come back to him. And, and go and share that truth with others. Be a welcoming person. Bring light to dark places as you go. We'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen.